Hey, welcome to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond. This is a show where we make it easier for you to do hard stuff. Today I'm chatting with Chase Hughes, who is a leading behavior expert in the US. Uh, he's the number one best-selling author of two books on tactical behavior skills. He's the author of a worldwide number one best-selling book on advanced persuasion, influence, and behavior profiling. He spent 20 years in the military and intelligence service, creating the most advanced behavior skills courses and tactics available worldwide. And Chase teaches elite groups, government agencies, and police and behavior science skills, including behavior profiling, nonverbal analysis, deception detection, interrogation, and advanced behavioral investigation. And it's a really fascinating conversation that I get to have with Chase. Today, we talk through inner conflict management, how we can develop our own authority so that people naturally follow us. We talk about behavioral self-analysis and looking at the areas that we need to work on to become more confident in ourselves, to become more confident to other people and to be better able to step outside of our comfort zone. We chat through social coherence theory and why we sometimes get stuck in our comfort zone and and also why we step over people that are in trouble at times as well if we're in a group. We also have a chat today about some of the uncomfortable stuff that Chase has been through recently and, and how he has tackled that. This is a really fascinating conversation. Chase has given us his behavioral self-analysis tool as well. So that'll be in the show notes for you so that you can you can grab grab a look at that and have a have a play with it. I really hope you guys enjoy this one. I had a fantastic time talking with Chase. Thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with us today. Chase Hughes, welcome to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Chris. Good to be here, man. Chase, I always like to start off just with a little bit of background about whoever it is that I'm talking to. So can you fill us in where you were born, where you grew up? Yeah, I was born in Arkansas, believe it or not, and uh, grew up in Houston, Texas as a kind of a country boy and uh, joined the military when I was 17 years old, making kind of bad grades and couldn't get myself academically together and I've stayed in the military for 20 years, uh, just retired a few weeks ago. And uh, during that time in the military, I developed a lot of uh, psychological tactics and techniques for reading people and performing interrogations and doing stuff that requires a level of influence that's not found in books and and, uh, YouTube videos that say how to mind control anyone or anything like that. So this, like we developed this stuff for the people that were so during that 20-year time in the military, we've developed a lot of tactics for extreme persuasion and influence that were a little bit better than the stuff you see online that promise you that you'll be able to influence anybody to do anything. And obviously, it never works. So we wanted these tactics to actually work because we we're making them for people that were going to use them and count on those working with their lives. And uh, while I was in the Navy, I served under the Naval Expeditionary Combat Command and worked for uh, several different offices there and worked in the correctional part of the uh, military as well. Sounds like a, a fascinating life so far, mate. How did you come to, to start to develop these psychological tactics? I mean, was that something that you'd been interested in from a young age? 
I think I, I had no interest in it until I was about 19. I was a couple of years into the military service and some girl had, had turned me down to go on a date with me once. And I went home that afternoon or that evening and I went on the internet and I typed in how to tell when girls like you on the internet. And I printed out like a three foot stack of papers and wound up just, I got so fascinated with like, there is so much you, that is out there that people aren't seeing all the time. And once I got good at it and you could see people's fears, their weaknesses, their insecurities, their hidden needs and drives, I got addicted to it because it kind of cured my social anxiety in a way. And it made everybody more approachable. It made them more human because you could see the flaws in most of the people that you're speaking with. So people to me, when I was kind of had this social anxiety, people that would have been threatening weren't anymore. They were just humans like I was. And I got obsessed with reading behavior at the very beginning and how, and just trying to find the limit. Like where's the limit of how much information you can get out of a person just by listening and observing. And I think I hit the wall, figured out how to do that and uh, surpassed a lot of the stuff that's out there. And then we got involved with, if we ask questions a certain way, where's the limit? So then we figured out how to ask questions better. And then, yeah, I went to school, got a degree in psychology and it became an influence game at that, at that point to where I wanted to find the limits of human influence and how far a person could be pushed into doing X, Y, Z uh, behavior and how fast could it happen and who would you have to become to achieve that level of influence over other people? And, you know, you read a lot of these books, like you just go on Amazon, you type in persuasion and influence. They all give you these methods, but they're the exact same methods. They're not considering the fact that every person is different. What answers did you come up with? How far can you go? I've still, I've yet to find a limit. And we've uh, proven that somebody will perform what they call in academics antisocial behavior, which is just uh, hurting another human uh, in less than 34 minutes. This is more than 50% of people can be talked into hurting a complete stranger in less than 34, 35 minutes. And we've yet to find the influence or the, the limit of the influence. And one common thing that we've discovered is that it's never the words. It's never like someone says, well, what exactly do I need to say to get a, to, to get a upgrade on a flight to first class? How do, what, is the, what are the exact words I need to say to the barista at uh, Starbucks to get a free coffee? And the words are important, but I'd say they're not as important as you think. It's the type of person who is delivering those words that makes most of the difference. Their internal behavior, their level of confidence and discipline that how contagious their behavior is and whether or not they are centered and congruent. So like, uh, you know, on the congruence part of this, like we, we read all these articles, like how to be an alpha male, how to exhibit alpha behaviors. And they say, Oh, make better eye contact, touch people. When you talk to them, smile, when you make eye contact, your posture needs to be really good. You need to dress great. So let's say you followed all of that stuff. So you've got all of that stuff mastered and you've still got, unpaid bills coming in the mail, your sink is full of dishes, there's a five foot pile of laundry in your bedroom, that stuff leaks out in your behavior to a point that it makes people feel off. 
they are not reading body language, but there's something in their unconscious that says something is incongruent with this person. And it's so common that I get emails from people wanting to come to my mastery level course or one of our behavior practitioner courses that their desire is to have a lot of control over people in their environment for therapy or hypnosis or whatever they do for a living. And they want to control other people and they like, they can't even make their bed. They can't even get to a phone call on time. They have no control over themselves, but they want to control others. And that's that, you know, one of the greatest quotes I've heard in the last few months is by Robert Green uh, on a, on a podcast. And he said, uh, the most dangerous person is a person that doesn't know themselves. And I think that's really true. Mm. I would very much agree with that. And I want to dive into that a little bit more, Chase, because most of the listeners to this podcast are here, hopefully, because they want to get better at being uncomfortable. Some of them probably just like the New Zealand accent, and that's great. But one of the things in, your, in the ellipsis manual, you talk about inner conflict management. And I think that's kind of around what you're talking about then. And part of the reason it that I want to talk about is kind of how can we manipulate or engineer our own behavior to one sort of exert more influence on our, on our surroundings, but also exert more influence on ourselves and, and become more confident, get better at stepping into that, that discomfort. And I, I know that you talk about kind of five different areas within that yeah. in a conflict management. Could you, could you have a bit of a chat about them, about what they are, how someone might go about developing them? Sure. So we have a thing called the authority self-assessment. And this thing talks about these five behaviors and allows you to rate yourself on a one to five on each one of these five behaviors. So obviously your maximum score would be 25. And each one of these behaviors we've determined is a internal quality of authority. And authority not meaning that you're the person in charge, authority just meaning that you will create automatic obedience by your behavior alone. No techniques, no special skills, no having to shake hands the right way. If you have those five qualities and they're, they're leveled up, so to speak, you will produce obedient behavior, you'll produce compliance in people just based on your personality. So that influence is just a byproduct of having this stuff figured out. And those five traits are confidence, discipline, leadership, gratitude, and enjoyment. So at the first, like let's say you're a level one or at the lowest on one of these, you'd be a burden to others. Moving up to like level four, you'd be inspirational. And level five, that behavior would become contagious. So confidence, for, in, for instance, if you level up to like a level five on confidence, that your level of confidence doesn't make other people feel small or insecure. It's contagious. So if you're at a level five on confidence, it makes other people confident. So it doesn't just inspire them to be like you, to be confident. It makes them confident in your presence. So that would be the level five on each of those is that your behavior is contagious. Your gratitude's contagious, your enjoyment or your discipline. And that's, that's where we strive to achieve. And that's the first part when we go to my, uh, behavior practitioner courses, we do a really, really deep dive into analysis on this chart and using a couple other self-evaluation tools that I've developed over the last 20 years, that it is a holy shit moment for a lot of these people because there are deficiencies that they didn't know about. So if you go through and kind of see where you are on here, 
it, number one, it shows you how to push yourself outside of your comfort zone to level up that achievement. So if you want to use like a, a video game terminology to go from a 2.5 to a five or to go from a four to a five, it shows you exactly your end goals right there and what you need to do to accomplish it is all kind of built into that process. Hmm. Awesome. Chase, obviously confidence is, is reasonably self-explanatory. Discipline, you were talking about self-discipline here. So doing things like having your house in order, having a kind of a disciplined physical appearance as well. Yeah. What else? Is there anything else that fits under the discipline category? Uh, the discipline category is uh, you, you want to get yourself to a point where if you make a decision to randomly get up at 2.45 in the morning and turn that alarm clock on, you're getting out of bed. It's going to happen. You don't have to worry about, oh, I got to set my alarm three times. I got to put it across the room. So the discipline is there without you having to muster it at the, at the ultimate part. Because a lot of times the alarm goes off multiple times because you have to muster up that, that discipline to get out of bed or to, to turn it off and just stand up. And that discipline bleeds over into a lot of things. It bleeds over into your hygiene. It bleeds over into how your skin looks during conversation. And it bleeds over into your, the clothing that you wear, how clean your clothing is, how clean your car is, whether or not you, you vacuumed out those French fries under your car seat that have been there for three weeks. That, those things really matter. And a person who has that discipline to control their life and their time can get that stuff done without feeling overwhelmed and still be outside their comfort zone. Nice. If your dog eats those French fries, does that count as discipline? Yes. Okay, good, yeah. good, good. Yeah. Thank you, Fox, for uh, doing that for me. I want to just have a bit of a chat about enjoyment as well, because that's, a, that's an interesting one to me. How do you define enjoyment in this context? And how do you improve or level up your enjoyment? I think that enjoyment is born of gratitude. Mm -hmm. And when someone is feeling gratitude in the moment, one of the best quotes I ever heard, sitting with a mentor of mine in Taco Bell, of all places. I don't know if you guys have those over there. There might be one or two in New Zealand. I know what they are, though. Yeah. So we're eating a taco. And he said, Grat true gratitude and enjoyment is about perspective. So most of us are focused on this little, little Google map that's only a few feet wide. And that true gratitude, true enjoyment is about understanding the perspective and zooming out and not just like setting a reminder on your phone, hey, zoom out, hey, feel grateful. But that, that's a pervasive, constant state of being. It's not a thought that you have. It's a, it's a way that you're, you're behaving. The book that really changed it for me was called Living Life as a Thank You. And my mentor said, true perspective in this exact moment would be being appreciative of Taco Bell for spending $6 million on research and development to make this taco perfect. And also feeling grateful for the farmer that raised this lettuce and brought it to market as well to pay for his kids. So that, that would be the level of perspective that you don't, at first you'll need to constantly remind yourself, but at the end, it's not something that you have to wear a bracelet or tie something around your finger, set reminders on your phone. It's just a constant process. It's how you think all the time, not something you remind yourself to do or have to pull out a piece of paper at the end of each day and write down some gratitude journal. It's just a, a state of being. And I think that is enjoyment. Yeah. 
with that, I think like from my understanding, what I do is it's a training exercise as well, though, is that sometimes that gratitude journal is, is an important part of getting you to sure. that, to that state. And actually one of the things that I've been using recently to try and improve my level of gratitude is something I heard on a podcast as well, is that it was a, a tip for helping people go to sleep actually is the the guy said just lie there at night and I want you to go through the alphabet and I want you to say one thing that you're grateful about for each letter so for example for me last night it was uh it's avocado season in New Zealand and I love avocado so it's just like hey I'm grateful for the avocado farmers for for growing these avocados and bringing them down to to where I live and b I'm grateful for the people that make the boxes so that they can transport the uh, the avocados so it's it's a, quite an interesting thought process to go through and I've I think the I've only been doing it for about a week but the furthest I've ever got I think is about in terms of in terms of how far I get through the alphabet before I fall asleep Man, that's great. And it's a good way to start sleeping, I think. Mm. It's, it's a great like path just to walk your mind down before you go to bed. Yeah, yeah, I definitely find that. And I like your kind of your perspective comment as well. And I think so often we are just wrapped up in, in ourselves and just kind of looking, looking down. And our devices probably have a part to play with that is that they just naturally kind of drag our posture forward and drag our head down. But one yeah. thing that really I find helps me be grateful is just to look up at the skyline and look up at the horizon and, and stop looking down at my feet. So I do yeah. get that perspective and can see all the, all the cool clouds and birds flying around and things as well is helpful for me. Chase, with, you, you talk about level up and kind of leveling up and getting to level five within these, these five different areas. Who are some examples of people that you see that are operating at this high level that most people would know about? Or I don't think there? there's a lot that are famous. Mm. So there's, I think there's a lot of people that have a lot of the traits. We're not, we're not looking for everyone to be fives across the board. Uh, obviously, that's the ultimate goal. That, that's a great place to aspire to. But we're not trying to level up to five on everything. It may not be possible. So like for personal discipline and confidence, we look at somebody like Barack Obama. And politics completely aside, there's nobody who anybody ever called cool more than him who mm-hmm. sat in that office. And it was because of that level of composure he had. He never over-postured against anybody. He never under-postured or collapsed into somebody else's demands. And just that slow, slow body movements, him just looking uh, like he has perspective all the time about the big picture. Even in the small conversations, he's, he's able to, to gain that perspective. So I think that, I mean, there's a lot of people that have fives in, in different qualities. And one thing that you'll learn as you, uh, if you study behavior, especially if you study my course, is that everyone's screwed up. Uh, once you start looking uh, with, the, with these, these eyes, you'll see that uh, everyone's screwed up. Everyone's suffering. Everyone's got horrible crap going on in the back of their head. And the only other thing we have in common is that we all try to hide it. Mm. And so that's, that's why it's, it's hard to identify somebody else to, I would say, use as a model for this. Because when we reflect onto other people, we're kind of making comparisons between ourselves and that person. 
instead of making a comparison between my score of my own self, my honest assessment, and the 5.0, just the, those little examples. So it's not a person that we're looking at on the 5.0. It's, a, it's This is the description of the qualities that I need to have in my life or where I would like to be. Mm. When you're doing the, the self-analysis, how frequently do people do that? I mean, how easy is it to, to track someone's progress once they're kind of already in? Super easy. Yeah. So I'll, I'll send it to you if you have show notes. Mm. And you could throw it in there. Just this one self-assessment. I mean, there's, there's like 50 that, yeah. that we go through. Now but this is definitely the most common. Yeah, that'd be amazing, actually. I'm interested to see where I, where I come out with, with some of them. Some I think will be better than, better than others. Another thing that I wanted to have a chat with you about today, Chase, as well, is um, around social coherence. And I think, as, as I was talking to you uh, at the start of, well, before we started recording, was when I finished university, for some reason I had in my head that I just go to work now and this is, this is my job, this is, this is life, and this is kind of what it's, what it's all about. And I think I'm still not 100% sure exactly why that idea just happened to be at the forefront of, of my mind and, and caused me to, to live that way for so long. I mean, I'm, I'm glad it did because otherwise I probably wouldn't be talking to you today about all this stuff. But I think a, large, a reasonable, reasonably large part of it is around social coherence and kind of what just rubbed off on me. So could you explain what social coherence is? Yeah, social coherence is a, a psychological phenomenon that was not my, those aren't my words, that we tend to uh, acquiesce and become part of a group by following group behavior. So just to show you how powerful this stuff is in our lives, if you go back 50,000 years, uh, we were kind of a nomadic species. We had groups of 50 to 80 people uh, that were little tribes of humans. The population of the earth was less than half of what it is today. So there wasn't as many people. There was not a lot of social connection. Most of our social connection was inside of these little groups. And this, it's been that way for the past, I don't know, we could say million years of how we organize tribes of humans, right? probably further back than a million. And we see the same behavior in our closest relatives, the, the, the bonobo chimps. And we, those tribes typically revolve around a leader or a couple of people who are the leaders of that tribe, usually like a leader and, and a shaman who kind of govern this, this group. And if you deviate from group behavior and you get outcast socially, that means you can't mate. It means you can't have sex which means you can't pass on your genes, which means your genetics literally die off the face of the earth. Your gene line stops right there. The moment you deviate from social behavior of your tribe, your DNA ceases to exist on this planet, which is pretty serious. We talk about you know, our main desires revolve around survival and just getting food to eat and having sex to make more humans. And it's so powerful and it's, we think our brains have evolved when all we're doing is inventing new crap. Like our brains are a million years old. It's the same exact brain. Nothing has really changed fundamentally in our brains. We're learning a little bit more. We're more advanced as a society, but the brain has the same programming it did 200,000 years ago. So, and this is governed so much that we see these experiments, these sociological experiments called the bystander effect to where a man pretends like he's getting stabbed. Let's, uh, let's, the last one I saw was at Liverpool Station, in Liverpool Street Station in London. This man would 
pretend like he had been stabbed or he's having some kind of a serious problem with the stomach. And he's laying down in the fetal position. There's a hundred people in frame that you can see all around him. He's screaming and begging for help. And people are stepping over him, making sure they don't spill their Starbucks uh, to go get on the tube in London. So, and it's not the people are bad because we're all programmed to do that. And what happens is this group forms these people who don't know each other on this street. They form a social agreement with one rule, don't help. And everyone agrees to that contract. So we walk by, we see, oh shit, this guy's in, in big trouble, but no one else is helping him. If I deviate from this social behavior, it could get me hurt. Uh, this guy on the, on the ground could stab me. I'm going to probably, somebody's going to video YouTube this and I'm going to be on YouTube. So we have all of these consequences from deviating from social behavior. And that, that study, the, the bystander effect study showed that the less people are around you when you get hurt or mugged or shot, the more likely you are to get help. And the more people that are there, the less likely you are to get help, which is crazy. But the more people that are there, institutionalizes us back into that part of our brain that we have a rule that we do not deviate. This is a large group of people. No one's helping, which means I would be breaking the rules way more to help this person because there's lots of people around. You know, we hear about these studies and we all, we all think that's how those people behave. Initially, we don't look into ourselves and think that that's us too. And of course, if you asked anyone, any one of your listeners, if you put up a poll, would you help someone on the street? 100%. They're all going to say yes. So we're all going to say we're going to act a certain way in a certain situation. But when it's there, it's way, way different. Mm. And one thing about authority that we were talking about, that same guy who was having the stomach pain in London, they put him in a business suit and tie, and he got help within six seconds of laying down on the ground. So that, that situation showed that an authority figure who may be the leader of a tribe or who may have power over some kind of a tribe will get help when necessary. So if we indicate that just that small visual indicator of leadership meant that it was okay to deviate from the crowd and help, help that person. Interesting. That's really fascinating. And when you were saying that no one was helping him, I, I don't know if you saw me kind of shaking my head slightly, but, and I'm sure that was a, a reaction of a lot of the listeners as well. But then my next thought was, but would I actually go and go and help? Yeah. So it's interesting. What, what ways can we kind of break out of social coherence as well? Because I think social coherence really keeps us living well within our comfort zones. I mean, we're marketed the idea of being comfortable and having things be easy and hard is bad. And that's the way that the majority of people live their life. Are there any ways to kind of break out of this and go against the grain? Yeah. So two things. First, the best way to do it is to identify social coherence every time you see it. Every situation you're in, every conversation, every job interview, identify where people are becoming socially coherent with each other, and it will help you to recognize it when it's happening to you. That's the only way, but there's no vaccination. And second, conversely, if a lot of your listeners are there for self-development, they're there to get more successful, to, to become more successful. If you measure the top 10% of people on earth in terms of business or financial success, their level of social conformity is extremely high. 
So the clothing they wear, the car that they drive, the country club they belong to, the sports that they play aren't weird. They don't go to some makeup medieval comic book festival because they conform to social behavior. So when we talk about success, and I'm not saying this is a behavior that you should replicate, but if you analyze the most successful people, they conform to groups more than the people that work for them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see that. And I think like with, with that, it, it comes back to your definition of success as well with it. Sure. If that is, if that is what you, you think success is, and a lot of people do that, that conformity is, is important. But as you, as you mentioned, kind of that, that initial stage, that, that self-awareness stage of the social coherence going on around you and, and you being kind of caught up in it as well. Part of what comes hopefully with that self-awareness is your awareness of what success means to you too. Yeah. Is it being the guy in the suit that drives a Maserati and goes right. and, and does this stuff or is it doing some awesome work and then going and spending time with your family at the beach uh, in the afternoon? this point you're you're able to socially conform deliberately by mm. choice mm. yeah 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 and that that is very cool chase i want to change tack a little bit with you mate um because i want to talk about some uncomfortable stuff for you because right. you mentioned that you you've just reti- recently retired from the military after 20 years in it and so coming back into into civilian life how uncomfortable was that it was terrifying I've never been a grown-up civilian before. I've never had a real job outside the military other than some stupid stuff I did when I was a lot younger. I had a job at Abercrombie and Fitch, if you want to count that as a job. And coming out of the military, I had no idea whether or not my business was going to be great or not. And it turns out it's awesome. It's doing fantastic. And it's still like one of the things I struggle with that I never thought I would is being an entrepreneur and you're kind of unemployed as in you don't have a boss and I've had a boss for 20 years. I had, I knew when to show up to work. I knew what the tasks needed to get done because someone else has set these priorities based on intelligence level or threat level, or this is the training requirements we've got to meet. And when you run your own show, you've got to do all that. So it is so tempting to say, well, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to take a day off or I'll, I'll do that tomorrow. There's no boss that's going to yell at you. And that took me like at least two weeks to get into that place to where I was managing the time ahead of time. And I had to develop a system. You can see it right here. I had these on my desk every day. It's a habit tracker, what I need to get done. And then a timeline for the entire day. And it's the end of day review on the back. And I have to do it every day and I just toss it once we're done. I just throw it away. Uh, but that really, really helped to be able to wake up and start the day with that. Mm, that's a, that's a cool tool. Is that one that you've developed yourself? Yeah, I made it. It took me 10 minutes on Microsoft Word. Yeah. Nice. Nice. I sent it to uh, like a local uh, print shop and it cost me 20 bucks to get a big stack. Oh, awesome. So you've leveled up your discipline over the last couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it must have been quite interesting as well, because for you, I imagine that there was a lot of environmental discipline that went on while you were in the military and kind of coming out and changing that around to all of the kind of the environmental structures that created some of that discipline were were removed for you. But obviously, yeah. it's, it's 
great that you've just been able to transition over with with a little bit of of thinking about it and and a little bit of practicality, which is which is awesome. Yeah, I um, think it was it was just I was having to use discipline muscles that I never had to before because of the institutional stuff that was in place beforehand. Mm. And I think that was the biggest hurdle. Yeah, yeah, and I think. Like I, I really like what you said there in regards to discipline muscles. Um, obviously I come from a reasonably physical background, and so I think about this kind of a whatever it is that you're doing is is like training a training a muscle as well. So, like all of the stuff that we've talked about today are skills that you can train and that you can get get better in with some some effort yeah. and some some input and you've you've made reference a, a, a few times to some of the the workshops some of the the courses that you run what sort of stuff do you have on offer at the moment and, and where can people go to to find out more about that yeah man thank you it's it's just my name chasehughes.com or just google chase hughes it'll be hopefully the top result so we have courses called the behavior practitioner which is a three-day class. We have an advanced course and then a mastery course. And the course covers uh, how to read people and see information that uh, not even their closest friends and family know about within the first few minutes to first few seconds of a conversation. And to really dig down inside of a person and figure out what their fears are uh, before six minutes, you'll know their biggest fears without them saying anything to you about it. And use that information on the second day we talk about extreme levels of compliance engineering and behavioral engineering influence and persuasion and we do that in a way that's extremely natural and doesn't make you talk like a weirdo which i think a lot of uh some of this hypnosis conversation stuff uh makes you sound really really weird and uh so the third day is manufacturing obedience or compliance. And this is great for sales or therapists or anybody. That third day is spent on authority and then training everyone how to pull off the mask that every person wears. And I tell you what, if you ever go through this technique and pull someone's social mask off, it is scary at first. And uh, it's something you're like, oh, I don't want to ever do that again. But it gets addictive because people become authentic in less than just doing a technique that takes 10 seconds to do. It's really cool. And then doing that, following that, we teach you the ways to engineer compliance through triggering some of these trip wires that the human brain's programmed a million years ago to respond to these five trip wires of obedience. And you just hit those and it basically triggers obedience. Really cool. Sounds super fascinating. Have you got any planned for New Zealand? No, we should come out there. I'm actually looking to do one in Sydney. Uh, next oh, yeah. Year. Cool. I might have to uh, make the trip across the ditch for that one. That would be, uh, it sounds very interesting. And quick question, have you been behaviorally engineering me the whole way through this? You'll never know unless you take the seminar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, interesting. <laughs> um, Chase, uh, I've got a couple of other questions for you, mate. Uh, but before I before I ask them, I actually want to know: Did you ever get a date with that girl? I never saw her again. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 
And you know, one year ago I was in the Atlanta airport and I thought that I saw her. I don't know if it was her or not, but I was, I was really tempted to just go say, Hey, <laughs> I didn't do it. <laughs> uh, interesting. Interesting. Um, yeah, I've been, I've been wanting to ask that one. I was like, Oh, I wonder if you ever, if you got that date. Chase, I've got some questions that I, I like to ask everyone at the end of the conversation, mate. Um, the first one yeah. is what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did and why was that uncomfortable for you? I think that would have to be getting a real assessment done on my physical health and talking to a personal trainer. Cause it's, you know, everyone talks about like, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to really get this done this year. But I sat down, I, I paid a personal trainer that was uncomfortable for me, uh, especially because I don't want somebody saying, oh, you're screwed up in this. And you, you can't do this right. And so sitting down with him and putting out a year long calendar uh, for the entire year of 2019 and planning out every day of the year, that was tough. Mm. How are you going sticking to it so far? 100%. Nice discipline. Nice discipline. And I think for you, the important thing to remember, mate, is that we're all screwed up in one way, as you said yeah. before. <laughs> So <laughs> I've never working in my job as a physical therapist, mate. I have never seen anyone that is, is a perfect physical specimen in, uh, in any way. So yeah, you're not exactly. alone there. You're not alone there. Chase, what's the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do? And why is that uncomfortable for you? I will be uh, we're redesigning the company right now. And I think the next big uncomfortable thing that we are going to do is try to push a tremendous class out. And it's one that's bigger than we've ever done before. It's about 600 people. And mm. developing a curriculum for that is something I can't delegate. I can't pass it off. So I've got to commit like uh, at least 25 hours a week uh, just to getting this done. Yeah, it sounds like a, like a massive body of work, but it sounds like it'll be pretty interesting when, it, uh, when you pull it off. Yeah, I certainly hope so. And we've, we've talked kind of around this topic already, but do you have any strategies that you use when you're approaching uncomfortable situations? Yes. Are you so, able to share? Yeah. So anytime I've got something like that, especially when it's dealing with me on an uncomfortable situation, so it's not physically uncomfortable. It's uh, something that is new to me. Uh, it's going to cause me to stretch. It's going to cause me to lose some time that I could have devoted to something else. I get a piece of paper first. I write down everything that needs to be done. Then I go back through that list, label everything priority one through four. I take all the top priority things, put those into a calendar and see whether or not those things compete and, and have them kind of fight it out on that calendar for my time. And that just dissecting exactly what needs to be done is a big, big thing for me. And usually if it's a big project, I'll set a goal for something small. Like a lot of times the personal trainers will, will give you a goal. Like all you've got to do is wake up and get in your car. You don't have to go to the gym. You just got to get out of bed, go sit in your car and that's it. And you know, when you get people to do that, they do that for a week and then they start feeling silly just sitting in their car. So they drive to the gym and you feel silly for not working out. So it's always to kind of dissect the entire thing, dissect the priorities and then figure out what are the small steps uh, that I need to, that I can do every single day to get that done. And then we overthink it. I think it was Tony Robbins who, who said this, and it really resonated with me. Uh, he's telling some woman, and I don't know why I ever keep going back to this gym thing, but he's telling some woman like, why, why can't you go to the gym? And she's given this 
this 45 minute explanation of how I got to well, go to the gym. Then, you know, I got to find parking Then they get to some sales staffs going to want me to sign up for contract. And there's machines I don't know how to use. Then they, you know, there's showers there, but the showers are sometimes open. I got to go investigate five or six different gyms. This is like a five day thing just to find a gym. It's just this hundred steps uh, to finding a gym. And then, <laughs> then Tony Robbins asked her, well, how do you eat? And she goes, well, I just go eat. <laughs> the same number of steps, you know, and, mm. and that's uh, one thing that I'm really aware of when I catch myself over stepping or over analyzing the, the effort that it's going to take to get something done when it, in reality, it's, it's nothing more than what I regularly do. Mm. It's a, a cool way to look at it. Uh, Chase, I've got one more question for you, mate, but I just want to say thank you again so much for taking the time to sit down and have a conversation with me today. And thank you as well for sharing the knowledge that you have to, to help people understand the world a bit better and understand themselves a little bit better so that they can operate more towards their potential. Thanks, Chris. Final question, mate. Do you have a challenge to leave me and the listeners with this week? Yeah. So the challenge would be to complete this authority self-assessment. Honestly, rate yourself. If you think you might fail a little bit, get one of your friends to do it for you. And honestly, rate yourself on these things and figure out where your goals really should be when it comes to developing yourself. And this thing will show you if you're a two at, at one of these things, all you got to do is look at number five, wherever you rated yourself a two, and that's your goal. That's all you got to do. So I would, I would challenge you guys to fill out that authority uh, self-assessment and figure out where you're at and set some new goals. Mm, that's a cool challenge. Chase Hughes, thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with me today. Thanks, Chris. There you have it, team. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Chase and I today. I'd be really interested to find out where you sat on Chase's behavioral analysis tool, uh, what areas it is that you're going to be working on. Yeah, it's a great tool to, to use and uh, hopefully it, it opens you up to a few different possibilities. I want to give a couple of thank yous before we finish things off. I, thank you as always, Jylan, for the amazing editing work. Thank you to my brother, Jeremy Desmond, for all your musical wizardry in regards to the theme music thank you as always to you guys for taking the time out of your busy lives to have a listen to myself and chase having a conversation today and I'll, we'll be back on friday continuing with our resilient series and then i'll talk to you all again next week as well thanks so much for getting uncomfortable with us today <laughs>